0: with Dr. Frank Turek. Good morning, this
1: Memorial Day weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Great news just in from the Babylon Bee. Check out this headline: ISIS lays down arms after Katy Perry's impassioned plea to, like, just coexist. In fact, here's what the article says: Ab, Abdu Bakar al. Baghdadi, the leader of the Islamic State, re- uh, released a statement Wednesday confirming that ISIS would be immediately surrendering its, fight, surrendering its fight to establish a powerful caliphate after viewing an interview in which pop star Katy Perry said, quote, The greatest thing we can do is just to unite and love on each other and, like, no barriers, no borders, like, we all just need to coexist. Like unquote. That powerful statement has single-handedly dismantled ISIS, and it came shortly after the terrorist attack on civilians in Manchester killed 22 people and led the inclusive head of ISIS to hold an emergency press conference declaring that the group's jihad is finished. Yeah, I wish. Hey, question. Katy perry says we should have no boundaries or no borders why does katie perry live in a gated community and why does she travel with bodyguards doesn't she believe in like uh love peace and the wonderful bumper sticker theology known as coexist friends everyone believes in borders they only disagree on where the border is is it your country is it your state is it your town is it your yard is it your door is it all of the above? where everyone believes in borders now, obviously the Babylon B is a satire site it's a it 's a very funny satire site. You ought to avail yourselves of it if you want a few laughs. Uh, the Babylon Bee. It's uh, Adam Ford does it. He's a former atheist who uh, became a Christian and actually he knows evangelical theology quite well and evangelical culture quite well. But this does raise this question on Memorial Day weekend with regard to the use of force. Should Christians be involved in the military? I mean, didn't Jesus tell us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek? And what about the Bible saying, thou shalt not kill? Shouldn't Christians be pacifists. I don't think so. Now, I might be a little biased this Memorial Day weekend. My dad served in the Army. I served in the Navy. My wife and I have two sons in the Air Force right now. My wife's family has served in the military for generations. Her father was a test pilot in the Air Force and actually served as the attache to Egypt. Her grandfather served in World War II and retired as a general. Her great-grandfather served as a general in World War I, and his portrait is hanging near the portrait of President George H.W. Bush in the Texas State House. So in our family, we've got a lot of military. Personally, I think complete pacifism is wrong, but I don't think it's just my personal opinion. I think both the Bible and common sense support that complete pacifism is wrong. And when I say complete pacifism, I say we ought to be pacifist to the best of our ability. But there are times when not only is the use of force not only justified, it's a dereliction of duty not to use force. I mean, you don't want to start a war for no reason, obviously. You don't want to use force unless it's a last resort. But sometimes the use of force is not only necessary. You'd be doing evil if you didn't use force. You say, Frank, what do you mean by that? Well, let's take a look at some of the biblical evidence. And maybe later on in the program, we'll get your opinion on this. Uh, our phone number, we won't get to you until after probably the second break, but if you want to call in, it's 888 589 Let's deal with what the Bible says about the use of force. Uh, turn the other cheek, thou shall not kill, these kind of things. Let's point out that loving your enemies, like turn the other cheek, is a command for individuals in personal rela- relationships. Let's take about turn the other cheek. It says, as you know, in in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is is in the is in the Sermon on the Mount. I happen to be reading the gospel of Matthew right now in devotions, and I'm I'm just reading this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 6. It says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Well, that is a reference to an injury of insult, not of violence. In the Near East, both In Jesus' day and in the present day, the most insulting physical blow that one can give another is a slap with the back of the hand against the right cheek. So this was saying that if somebody insults you, you don't need to return insult for insult. Turn the other cheek is not a command for governments, nor is it a command for individuals put in grave bodily harm. As individuals, we should pray for our enemies and turn the other cheek instead of returning insult for insult because such behavior demonstrates the supernatural love aimed at securing the offender's conversion to Christ. That's why we do this. We're, we're trying to demonstrate the love of Christ. If somebody insults you, you don't have to return insult for insult. In other words, you don't have to retaliate. You can let it go. But those commands, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do not mean that we have no right to personal self-defense, nor do they mean that a nation shouldn't protect its people from other hostile nations. In fact, as we'll see here a little bit later, it's the government's responsibility to protect you from hostile nations and hostile people within your nation. How about love your enemies? No extra charge for this, ladies and gentlemen. But the love your enemies command shows that love is not a feeling. If love was a feeling, how could you love your enemies? You couldn't. No one has pleasant feelings about their enemies. In fact, if you look at the famous passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, it's read at every wedding. I I want you to listen. as I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 13, just a couple of verses here. See if you sense any feelings in this particular listing or description of what love is. You ready? Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. How many feelings did you hear in there? Well, anger could be a feeling. It's related to a feeling. But it says, do not anger. It's not easily angered. Most of these, in fact, virtually all of these are actions. Actions. You're patient. You're kind. You don't envy. You don't boast. You're not proud. Those are negatives. You don't dishonor others. You're not self-seeking. You're not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. These are actions. Those are choices. They are not feelings. And too many of us have run into trouble relationally because we think love is a feeling. And once, the, once we, we have these feelings, or once these feelings go away, these feelings of infatuation when we first meet somebody romantically, we somehow think we're not, quote-unquote, in love anymore. That's nonsense. You can't commit to having a feeling... For the next 50 years. When you stand at the altar to pledge yourself to one another, you're vowing behaviors. You're not vowing feelings. You can't promise not to feel a certain way or to feel a certain way for the next 50 years. You might as well promise you'll never feel hungry. You can't do that. Feelings is not what love is about. Actions are what love is about. Love is a choice. So this idea about loving your enemies means you're you're acting in such a way, you're not feeling in a certain way. But what is what 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 about thou shalt not kill and, and, and wasn't Jesus meek and mild and didn't he always acquiesce? Didn't he always turn the other cheek? Well, we're going to get to that after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. examinedorg Cross-examined with a D on the end of it, .org. I'm going to be in London. Yes, London, England this coming weekend. I'll tell you more about that uh, after the next break if you're over there in the U.K., so don't go away. We're back in just
0: two minutes. Eight Days of Hope 13 is headed to Lafayette, Louisiana, June 4th to June 11th. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with Eight Days of Hope. Eight Days of Hope is a faith-based ministry. We've gone all over the country to help families rebuild after natural disasters. We've helped almost 1,800 families rebuild their homes, sometimes for them ground up. Lafayette, Louisiana, and the whole state of Louisiana got hit by epic flooding last year in August. Almost 25 inches of rain fell, And almost $20 billion of damage was done. Literally 140,000 homes flooded. Think about that. 140,000 families waiting for somebody to be a glimpse of Jesus. You can be a skilled professional or you can be somebody like me who's less skilled but wants to give back. Go to 8daysofhope.com. We provide the food and lodging and you can learn a lot more about the ministry. And we can't wait to see you in Lafayette, Louisiana, June 4th to June 11th. For more information, go to 8daysofhope.com.
2: Blame cripples our spiritual progress. Hi, Kim Katola for Cradle My Heart today. Melinda's bitterness after abortion led to an addiction rooted in her unmet needs for love and support. Like Melinda, our neediness may prevent repenting and grieving our part in the abortion decision. Both before and after abortion, we may try to escape our emotions and fill our inner emptiness by abusing alcohol or drugs, Promiscuity, eating disorders, overworking, and yes, by shifting blame. With the help of an after-abortion Bible study, Melinda learned to face the underlying problems which set the stage for abortion. She's found the courage to own her mistakes and confess her sin, and she's found the unconditional acceptance that she so desperately needs. You'll find a network of Christ-centered organizations offering help for unplanned pregnancy and hope after abortion at cradlemyheart.org. Saving lives and healing hearts after abortion one story at a time. CradleMyHeart.org
1: Welcome back to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website. Crossexamined.org, all one word. Cross-Examined with a D on the end of it, .org. By the way, if you haven't downloaded our free app yet, you need to do it. We're up over 130,000 downloads now. You can listen to the program on the app. You can... uh Go back and look at podcasts or listen to podcasts, previous podcasts on the app. You can watch our TV show streaming live on the app, which is on every Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern and 1 a.m. Eastern if you're an insomniac. There's also a quick answer section on the app. There's our schedule on the app. And, oh, by the way, I mentioned I'm going to be in London. Yes, London, England, the U.K. this coming weekend, Lord willing. It will be uh, several events from June 1st through June 4th. Uh, Thursday night, June 1st, I'll be at St. Mary Woolnoth Church, which is pretty close to London Bridge uh, right there, just uh, north of London Bridge. And that'll be from 7.30 to 9 p.m. We'll be talking, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. The next morning, I'll be recording some programs with uh, Justin Brierley of Unbelievable Radio. As you know, uh, for those of you who are into apologetics, hopefully you listen to Justin's program. It's a kind of a debate program. Uh, over there in the UK on unbelievable radio and we'll be recording uh, several programs over there I'm going to record Justin to be on this program He's got a new book out and we're recording uh, a debate between myself and a young atheist by the name of Alex O'Connor uh, an intelligent young man who has uh, uh, Done some YouTube videos that uh, have tried to refute what I have said on video So Alex and I will be having that dialogue and I assume it'll probably be out that following week if you want to hear it. And then I'll be at Kensington Temple on a Friday night, uh, which is not far from Hyde Park, for those of you that know London. And I'll be there Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. And then all day Saturday, pretty much. We're going through I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in Detail from 9 to 4 there at Kensington Temple. And then on Sunday, I may be at a—we're working on another church in the morning and then Kensington Temple again in the evening— I'll probably be talking about If God, Why Evil on uh, that Sunday night, June uh, 4th. Uh, so if you're anywhere near London, England, love to see you there. I've been to London, but I've never spoken in London, so I'm looking forward to going to the UK. I've spoken in other other countries around there, Denmark, Norway, Switzerland, France a little bit, but never London. I wonder if they speak English over there. Adam, I'm talking to my producer. Adam, do they speak English in London? I hope so. I don't want to have a translator. So in any <laughs> In any event, uh, that's this weekend, so uh, so watch out for that. That's uh, June 1st through uh, the 4th, and maybe some of those events are streamed. I don't know, so if you want to tune in, you can. Today we're talking about uh, Memorial Day in particular. Well, we're really talking about Jesus and the case for war. Yeah, Jesus and the case for war. I wrote a column a number of years ago entitled that, and uh, I'm going through some of the issues that I first brought up in that column, because it is Memorial Day, and I know that Christians are conflicted. They think, well, you know, it seems like we need, we need the military, we need to somehow uh, uh, protect ourselves from evil, but then what is Jesus talking about, would turn the other cheek and love your enemies and all this? Well, we went through turn the other cheek prior to the break, what about, uh, and, and love your enemies, what about thou shall not kill? I mean, you, that's one of the big ten, right? So one of the big ten commandments. Well, actually, that's a mistranslation. The actual command says, thou shall not murder. See, all killing, or not all killing, is murder. I mean, obviously some is, but murder is the taking of an innocent human being, where killing, it might be in self-defense, it may be in a just war, it may be in capital punishment. In fact, capital punishment is condoned for governments in both the Old and the New Testaments. In the Old Testament, Genesis 9 really establishes government. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed, for God made man in his own image. And so it gave the government the ability to take the life of a murderer. In the New Testament, Jesus actually affirmed the rights of government to impose capital punishment. But he said that such right was given by God. Because when Pilate said, don't you know I have the authority to kill you? Jesus said, and this is in John chapter 19. Jesus said, yes, you do have the authority, but that authority was given to you from above. So he's admitting that that the government had the capacity or the right to 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 put forth capital punishment to execute capital punishment in fact jesus wouldn't have been our sacrifice without capital punishment think about that so thou shall not kill does not mean thou shall not kill in self defense or kill in um well let me deal with self defense let's let's look at that explicitly both the Old and the New Testaments affirm the right to self-defense. Exodus 22 says this. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck by a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. That's self-defense. And even in the New Testament, self-defense is affirmed. Jesus himself told his disciples to sell their cloak and to buy a sword in Luke twenty-two thirty-six, 36. Why is he telling them to buy a sword? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're carrying money at that point. He didn't explain. Now, it's true. Jesus later told Peter, put your sword away. But he did that so Christ's sacrifice could go forward and the scriptures could be fulfilled. I mean, that's, that's why. He, Jesus didn't want Peter trying to defend him from going to the cross. But, the very fact that Jesus told Peter and the other disciples to buy a sword shows that its use for personal protection is appropriate. Now, here's an aside here that's very important. Jesus never condoned the use of the sword as a means for religious conversion. It's impossible anyway. Genuine conversion, by definition, is freely accepted. It can't be coerced. So, you don't try and... You don't try and convert people by the sword. I know Islam tries to do that, but that—how how is that a genuine conversion? I mean, it's not. It's coerced. And Jesus doesn't want coerced conversions. Jesus wants you to love God. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's not done by the threat of a sword or at the point of a sword. So... The sword is not used as a means of religious conversion. It is used as a means to protect innocent people from evil. In fact, with regard to war, the New Testament does not order newly baptized soldiers to get out of the military. This is why I mentioned before, I've been in the military. My, uh, my father's been in, my in-laws have been in, my sons are in. And well, are we supposed to get out when we become Christians? No, I joined as a Christian. Instead, John the Baptist told these soldiers not to abuse their power and to be content with their pay, if you look at Luke chapter 3. Soldiers are needed because, as Paul pointed out in Romans 13, governments have the God-given responsibility to use the sword to protect people from harm. In fact, that's the purpose of government, ladies and gentlemen. The purpose of government is to protect innocent people from evil. Now, armies protect innocent people from evil outside the country, and the police force protects innocent people from inside the country. Even pacifists will say, if they're about to be mugged to a police officer, help me. So they're not a complete pacifist. They agree that force needs to be used. I mean, what's the difference between uh, a policeman and someone who is in the military? Well, the difference is the policeman is supposed to protect you from bad guys inside the country where uh, someone in the military is supposed to protect you from bad guys outside the country. And both of them have to use force when necessary. Paul himself accepted military protection when he was in danger in Acts chapter 22. You remember the Jews wanted to kill him down down there at the temple. He said, I'm a Roman citizen. And then they protected him when they took him to Caesarea. And as I mentioned earlier, Jesus actually affirmed the rights of governments to impose capital punishment. So the use of the sword is not only appropriate from a common sense perspective, it's appropriate because the New Testament says it is, and the Old Testament says it is as well. So... This idea that loving your enemies and turning the other cheek and all these things prevent the use of force is misconstrued. Love your enemies can't mean that the use of all force is prohibited because such an interpretation would contradict the passages I've just cited. And it would result, obviously, in absurd conclusions. It would be absurd to say that love your enemies means that you've got to allow these evil people to kill your family. How would that be loving your family? This is why I said earlier that the use of force is not only appropriate, but sometimes it would be a dereliction of duty not to use force. You can't love your, your own family if you allow evil people to hurt them or kill them. I mean, obviously it would be absurd to say that love your enemies prohibits all wars. What about the war against Hitler? Was that not justified? I mean, please, come on. How would that be loving to the Jews or the countries overrun? If we were to say that love your enemies means that you couldn't oppose an evil army marauding across Europe, murdering innocent people, that's such an absurd interpretation. Again, we have people outside the country who protect us from bad guys, the military, and people from inside the country who protect us from bad guys, police force. And we honor them all today, well, this weekend We ought to honor them all the time, but Memorial Day weekend is a time that we say, hey, these people who protect us from evil should be applauded, and we should honor them, and many of them have gone to their deaths. They've sacrificed themselves for our freedom and for our protection, and we need these folks and we should honor them in fact without the proper use of force we'd have anarchy and innocent people would be hurt or killed so we have a responsibility to protect ourselves and our families from harm and governments have a similar responsibility to protect their citizens now it is true that Christians should be opposed to specific wars that don't meet what theologians call just war theory that's true not all war is is a just war. Not all wars are just wars. But the claim that the use of force is unbiblical is not only against scripture, it's against common sense. Edmund Burke, the great uh, English uh, writer and politician said, all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. I mean, think about this. What would happen if... All police forces today in America said today there will be no law enforcement. You can do whatever you want and you'll never be prosecuted for anything. First of all, friends, would you leave the house? No, you wouldn't. Would Best Buy survive? Would, would the Lexus dealership survive? How many people would be raped, killed, robbed? I mean, it would be anarchy. If good men do nothing, evil will prevail because there's evil through the hearts of human beings. And so we need force. In fact, sometimes not to use force would be unloving. In a fallen world, sometimes force is going to be necessary. A little bit more about this, and then we'll get to your phone calls right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. Back
0: in two minutes. Don't go away. Ed Stetzer of Wheaton College. If we're going to talk about this intersection of faith and ideas for the common good, we have to talk about the kind of Christian that we need. Joins John Stone Street of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview.
1: What Christians do when we defend
0: religious liberty is we defend something that's true and good and makes the world a better place. It's an all-new Breakpoint This Week, every Every weekend, right here. Breakpoint This Week, Saturday afternoon at 2.30 Central on American Family Radio. Jesus calls his followers to serve and sacrifice for those who hate us. Yet Christians have gained a reputation for being remarkably unloving to outsiders. How can we recapture Jesus' heart for the lost? Our message on the law of love continues this weekend on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute.
1: I can't tell you how many times I've heard similar stories. A doctor told Stella and Matt in Maryland their unborn child had androgen insensitivity syndrome. This affects sexual development before birth and during puberty. Children may develop genitalia of both sexes or in milder cases be infertile. The doctor told parents their son would suffer for a lifetime and recommended a late-term abortion. At the abortion mill, a pro-life sidewalk counselor asked the couple to slow down and consider their options. They rejected abortion. It turns out their son had a less severe condition, easily corrected by surgery. If you or someone you know is told by your doctor to abort your baby, abortion is never the answer. And God will give you the grace to flourish whatever the condition of your baby. Like us on
0: Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed. More informed than you've ever been. Is war
1: ever justified? How about the use of force? What about turn the other cheek and love your enemies? If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network. Those are the issues we're talking about today on the Memorial Day weekend edition of Cross-Examined. And if you're just tuning in, you're going to have to go back and listen to the first two segments because we covered those issues prior to this. And we were just saying before the break that sometimes force is not only necessary, it would be a dereliction of duty not to use force. Edmund Burke said all that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Now, as terrible as war is, war is sometimes the least bad choice available it's another in other words it's not that Christians are ever for war it's that we're against the alternative the oppression and death of the innocent and in a fallen world like this sometimes the use of force is necessary to protect the innocent without it we wouldn't even be able to love our friends imagine again if we were to just say no law enforcement no military protection today What would happen to our country? What would happen to any country if they said, no law enforcement, do whatever you want? Anarchy. Death, murder, mayhem. Now, you might not go out and murder people. You might not go out and steal, but a lot of people would. And you would be fearful for your own safety. So, on this Memorial Day edition of cross-examine we'd like to get your insights in on this topic if you want to join the program it's 888 589 let me start in uh arkansas with georgia georgia you're on with frank Turek. go right ahead
3: well good morning frank it's first time i've ever called i've been in bed for four years so i listen to you all the time i listen to american favorite radio all day
1: yes ma'am are you are you okay are you back are you feeling better?
3: No, I'm just I'm laying down talking. I've got my phone pillow.
1: Oh, all right.
3: Yes, my voice of old. Uh, uh-huh. On these walls, people need to call their congressmen mm-hmm. and tell them to help Trump to get these laws built and tell them if they don't, he will not vote for them next election. And he'd find out who's vote, who's voting against the wall.
1: Yes, uh, that's a that's a, a very. Go ahead, George. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
3: And also, there's a petition. I think AFA's got up at Ever Conservative. They'd sign on AFA.net and sign that. All right. And turn but, the other cheek. I think turn the other cheek means where the cat hits you, get on that cheek. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it really had to do with insults. It doesn't have to do with protecting yeah. innocent people from evil, and that's what we need to understand. Uh, Georgia, uh, we will uh, pray for your recovery. I'm sorry to hear that you're, you're not feeling well. And thank you for that call. I think you're absolutely right uh, that we need to have security in this country, with it, which includes building a wall. Thanks for your call, Georgia. In fact, uh, when President Obama was in office, he said, you know, walls don't work. And Charles Krauthammer made the astute observation. Well, why is there a wall around the White House then? Obviously, walls are necessary to protect innocent people from evil. And as President Trump said during the campaign, are we going to have a country or are we not going to have a country? Are we going to have a country? And if we're going to have a country, we have to be able to regulate who comes in and out of it. Because some of the people coming in want to harm us. And the number one role of government, according to Romans chapter 13, in fact, according to our founding documents as well, the number one role of government is to protect innocent people from evil. See, governments don't give rights. Government don't, they don't take rights away. Governments secure rights. In fact, if governments give rights, you don't really have rights. You just have preferences because if another government comes in, And decides that what you think is a right is no longer a right. You wouldn't have it then, would you? No, a government is put into place, as our Declaration of Independence says, to secure rights. And Thomas Jefferson's point was, when a government ceases to secure the rights of its citizens, then the people have the authority to replace that government. That's what the Declaration of Independence says. So, the idea here is is that rights come from God... Not governments, but governments are instituted by God to protect rights. And when they fail to protect rights, then the people ought to replace the government. And that's what Georgia is saying. If these people don't want to build a wall, we need to find somebody who does. We need to find somebody who will protect innocent people from evil. Now, this doesn't mean that we we don't have immigration. We can have immigration. We just need to have immigration by vetting people so people don't come in here who want to harm us, kill us. Blow up our children, which is tragically what's happened over there in Manchester, England. I mean, it's barbaric. If you'd like to join the conversation, 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Let me go to Carlos in Texas. Carlos, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead.
4: Hi, Dr. Turk. Thanks for having me on today.
1: Yes, sir. How are you doing?
4: Um, I just, first of all, uh, I'm doing great. First of all, you guys that cross-examine do awesome things, so keep it up. Oh thanks. Um, my question was slightly off topic, um, but so you mentioned in a previous podcast that um, miracles are God or or a personal agent intervening or interrupting the laws of physics. Let's say mm-hmm.
1: is that correct? Overpowering the laws of physics, we overpower the laws of physics too, right? I mean, we we overpower yeah. the law of gravity when we uh, fly in an airplane. And and yes, and my yes, point right. was, look, if we can overpower the laws of physics, could can't God, the, the being that created and sustains the laws of physics, of course. Oh
4: yes, yes, I absolutely agree. My my mm-hmm. quick follow up question was, if if that is the case, would we uh, would it be fair to say that God could also overpower, or a personal agent could overpower laws of, let's say, logic? Let you me know.
1: No, because the laws of logic flow from his nature. The laws of physics are, in one sense, arbitrary. They don't have to be this way. God could have made gravity into a, d- a different strength or or had different laws of nature if he wanted to. Now, it turns out when we examine the universe based upon what we know about the universe and what we know about human life, that the laws that are in place, the physical laws, are precisely designed or precisely tweaked that if they were any different, we wouldn't be here. But that's not to say God couldn't have created another universe with different kinds of, uh, of people materially, with different laws of logic and different laws of physics. Those laws don't flow directly from his nature, but the laws of logic do and the laws of morality do because God is moral. God is rational. Whereas physics don't necessarily flow uh, from God's nature because God isn't a physical being. Right, he's an immaterial being. So when he created the physical world, he didn't have to create it in any certain way. He could have created it, uh, you know, in a, in a different with different physical laws. Does that make sense?
4: It absolutely does. Thank you so much for the answer. I really appreciate your help. Like I said, right. keep doing uh, what you guys are doing. God bless y'all.
1: Thanks, Carlos. So now, where in Texas are you? College Station. Oh, College Station. It's You're down here, Texas A and M. Oh, all right. Well, yes, this certainly. year we're doing. Uh, the cross Examine instructor academy cia in in um dallas so if you're interested in cia it's pretty close
4: quick comment i would totally do it but that would make me a, a bad husband that's when uh, i have my second second baby girl coming
1: oh it would make you a bad husband baby. and we and we wouldn't accept you carlos if you told us that we'd say
4: uh, now you got to stay yeah, home yeah. all right
1: all right maybe next year <laughs> All right, yes. all right, thanks very much, Bye. Carlos. thanks for the encouragement as well all right uh five eight nine eighty eight forty. triple eight five eight nine eight eight forty triple eight five eight nine eight eight forty uh Daniel in Arkansas, you're on with Frank Turk. Go right ahead, sir.
4: mean? I'm sorry I didn't hear my
1: name Yes, yes. sir, it's you go uh, ahead sir.
5: quick question. I've been following apologetics for uh, about two years now Free c s. lewis I love listening to you um. I was talking to my buddy the other night, he's a deist, and we are talking about moral absolutes on how we know right and wrong on our hearts. Mm -hmm. And we brought up Hitler and talked about the Nazi party on how we know that's right or wrong. And he stopped me and was like, well, they didn't know that was right or wrong. They thought what they were doing was right. The Nazi party had around 8 million people in it. Um, How do you respond to that? Okay, well, it's not just a... He kind of stopped me.
1: Well, it's, it's it's not just a matter of knowing right and wrong. It's a matter of justifying rightness or goodness. This is one mistake atheists normally make on this issue. They're, they conflate or confuse how you know something with explaining why something exists. Uh, and in, in philosophy, that's called the difference between epistemology, that's how you know something, and ontology is why that thing you know actually exists. And so what we're saying here is, is that there's a standard out there called goodness or righteousness and any deviation from that standard is what we would call evil. And that standard is what we mean by definition to be God's nature. So if there is such a thing as goodness, whatever that is, that's God's nature. That's what we mean by it. And the Nazis okay. actually knew that murdering innocent people was wrong, but they suppressed the truth. In fact, that's why Hitler had to dehumanize the Jews. He had to tell his, his uh, cohorts, his Nazi soldiers, that they were subhuman. That's, be, that, that's why he did that, because they knew that it's wrong to murder innocent women and children. Or innocent people it's wrong to do that okay. so they had to be talked out of the idea that the jews were human beings they were somehow subhuman you should see some of the nazi propaganda films daniel they talk about the jews okay. being subhuman so they knew it but they suppressed it and a lot of people today including ourselves we often suppress the truth too why because we want to go our own way paul talks about this in romans chapter one so it's not the case that everybody has to agree on morality for god to exist in fact we could put it this way if just one thing is morally wrong like say it's wrong to torture babies for fun then god exists Mm -hmm. well i mean we can disagree on a lot of things about morality that doesn't disprove the point do you know that scientists disagree over certain scientific questions questions but that doesn't mean there's no objective world Just because they disagree over a particular topic doesn't mean that the object of their study, the objective world, doesn't exist. In a similar way, just like we may disagree over certain moral issues, that doesn't mean there isn't this category or this essence out there called goodness. If there's just one thing that we agree on that really is so, it's wrong to torture babies for fun, then God exists. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, I got you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And and I'll definitely... Look into some of that propaganda film.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a look. Take a look at my conversation with him. Yeah, yeah. You you can find that on the internet. Uh, You can find, I'm sure, some of these Nazi propaganda films. By the way, the book you want to get, if you want to go into that in a little bit more detail, is called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. There's a whole chapter in there that I put on morality. Uh, and how atheists continually make this mistake of confusing how you know something with explaining why something exists. So if you check out Stealing from God, that might be helpful to you, Daniel. Okay. Thanks so much. I definitely. All right. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamine.org. We're talking about Jesus and the case for war. What? Yeah, we're talking about the use of force. Can it be justified from a Christian perspective? That's what we've been talking about today. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away. I'm Frank Turk.
6: A lot of people have faith in God, but what God wants from us isn't our acknowledgement of His existence. When the Bible speaks of faith, it is speaking of an implicit trust that we have in the Savior for our eternal well-being. Kind of like the same faith you'd have in a parachute. You don't just believe in a parachute, you actually put it on. And the Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will ask whether it is enough to just believe in God's existence and then assume he will accept us despite all our faults. However, God's word says there will be a day in which God will in fact judge the world in righteousness by his holy standard. If you've looked with lust, The Bible says you've committed adultery in your heart. That's the type of standard God's going to judge with. We all desperately need God's forgiveness. Call 888-NEED-HIM if you want to learn how to get that forgiveness and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now with a look at what's happening on the legal front, The President of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus.
5: The City Council of Fresno, California, recently voted unanimously to post the national motto In God We Trust in their council chambers. Inspired by a national movement begun in 2002, Fresno's Councilman Gary Bredefeld introduced the resolution. Before voting, Mr. Bredefeld sought legal analysis from Pacific Justice Institute, which has experience in litigating government use of symbolic religious phrases. Now, PGI was gratified to report that at every court level, in God we trust is found to be constitutional. For Pacific Justice Institute, I'm Brad Dacus.
6: To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org.
1: Welcome back to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're talking about Jesus and the Case for War on Memorial Day here. Yeah, Jesus and the Case for War. If you're just tuning in, you're probably going, What? You got to listen to the podcast. We're three quarters of the way into it, so. You're not going to be able to not going to be able to recant everything or recant <laughs> review everything here in the next uh, 12 minutes. So if you want to learn about what we're talking about today, listen to this uh, podcast or tune in tomorrow at 5 Eastern on the American Family Radio Network cuz this show will be rebroadcast. Let me go to Karen in Texas. Karen, you're on with Frank Turk. Go right ahead, ma'am. Karen, Hi, you're um,
7: yes. Can, go can you ahead. hear me? Yes, ma'am. Um, yes, I'm calling because I, I really enjoyed your program this morning. It clarified a lot of things or, or um, kind of reaffirmed a lot of things for me. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about primarily was um, your discussion about capital punishment mm-hmm. because so many people struggle with that so much. And I, right. um, I work, actually work in the courtroom, so I listen to a lot of um, jury selections and have taken quite a few uh, jury selections involving capital punishment. And that is one of the things that is the biggest struggle is you have, they, you know, they immediately go to that, uh, you know, thou shall not kill. And they just cling to that. And it's very, very hard for them to get past that. And um, so, you know, clarifying that in the scripture. And also I think that all of the other things that you're talking about and you know, the Bible affirming war and, and, and um, you know, our ability to go to war and to protect our country and, and also our personal Um, protection, and and our God affirming our right to, um, you know, self-defense, and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. It all goes back to that, you know, and and the struggle with that scripture of thou shalt not kill.
1: Well, I I think clarity is necessary there. It says, thou shalt not murder, as I mentioned earlier. Now, I I do say, with regard to capital punishment, we need to be very careful. We need to put every possible check in there to make sure that the person who is uh, convicted, actually is guilty, because obviously we don't want to murder, we don't want to kill somebody uh, who actually is innocent. So I'm, I'm all for all sorts of different checks on this, but I think that uh, the Bible actually affirms capital punishment, not only in Genesis, but Jesus himself affirmed it, Paul affirmed it, um, shows that it is a legitimate use of punishment, proper use of punishment, but it has to be done with extreme care
7: right and 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 I you know I think what a lot of people don't really understand and they've never really been on a, a jury so they don't really understand um mm-hmm. you know just about the process and they're never really asked to actually say you know uh you know to to answer um you know yes this person should live or die it, it's
1: right. a serious, it, it it's
7: questions it, it is a huge they're responsibility yeah they're asked questions and based on the answers on those questions, that's what determines,
1: you Mm -hmm. know, what the,
7: the the court actually, um, assesses the sentence. And so, and, and so it's, you know, I mean, that's, that's getting into all the, you know, what goes on, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's even though many times, you know, they, they feel like this person deserves and, and, and might deserve the punishment. They can't get past that interpretation. And so I, I, I appreciated what you did, not just about talking about capital punishment, but but everything else in the Bible, because you know you can't just take something; you have to understand God's the Scripture and and the content, and the context, and um, so all of the other things that you talk about really kind of go back to that. And then, and taking it just alone, it's it's very easy for people to, to hang on to that. And not that's, really right, that's right. That's right.
1: That's right. Well, thank you for your call, Karen. And if Karen. you want, by the way, more on this, get the book Christian Ethics by my co-author, Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, because it covers not only the issue of war, but many other issues when it comes to ethics. So if you want more detail on this, that would be a good book to get. Thanks for the call, Karen. i got to move on to Adam in Mississippi. Adam, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead.
5: Thanks, hey, Frank Turek, man. I appreciate you. Uh, you have uh, been a huge influence in my life because of the apologetics that you that you do, and oh, thanks, I really appreciate it. Man. Thank you. What's up? Um, I was going to comment on something else, but I uh, I'm going to just comment on the uh, war and mm-hmm. the Christian perspective of war. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my Bible the other day, and I was reading. I can't seem to find. I should have marked it, but um, the the Old Testament prophets talked about uh, prophets that were coming in to Jerusalem and prophesying peace and using using the name of God and really just talking out of their own mouth but not really um speaking for God and the prophets were telling Israel to not listen to these uh prophets and and these prophets were you know saying that there was going to be peace there was going to be peace and and if you know with the idea that history repeats itself we have the same thing happening uh, with the Antichrist, uh, promising
6: peace,
5: promising peace to everyone. And what I was trying to say is that uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily impossible to have peace in, in, in all of our societies, but God's ultimate
1: plan is to bring
5: war to the earth, and the earth will be destroyed. Correct? Correct.
1: Yeah well yeah there will be a battle of armageddon and then uh, God ultimately will quarantine evil to a place called hell and we will live on a new heaven and new earth or new heavens and new earth uh in peace uh, after our 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 sin nature has been changed will be glorified and the people who don't want to be with Jesus who reject his free gift will be quarantined so yes ultimately that is the case uh, so and
5: so and so is it fair is it fair to say that uh you know throughout the whole whole Old Testament you know uh David was a warrior and and God used the initiation of war to conquer the promised land. Well, uh, he, did, he
1: yes, he, he did, but that was during a theocracy. If you want a better example for today's times, if you go back mm-hmm. to Genesis 14, where God blesses Abraham for going in, using force and rescuing Lot, that's before the theocracy ever began. So the use of force is justified when it's appropriate, when it's a last resort, and to not use it would be a dereliction of duty. In other words, we wouldn't be loving our, our, our friends if we didn't go rescue them. But I got to move on. Right. Adam. Thank you. Thank you for the call. I've got to move on because we're mm-hmm. just about out of time here in this segment. And I appreciate the call. Maybe we can talk more uh, at another time. But let me let me wrap up our program this way. In September of 2006, the United States Navy SEAL, Michael Monsoor, was on the roof of a home in Ramadi, Iraq. And uh, he was up there with other SEALs, and he was fighting off terrorists who were trying to take him and his comrades, his teammates, out. And a mosque began to broadcast that the Americans were on this roof and uh, the terrorists ought to try and take them out. One insurgent, one terrorist, threw a grenade up on the roof. It hit Petty Officer Mansoor right in the chest. Now, Mansoor was the only seal on the roof that had an easy escape route. He could have jumped through the door and saved himself. But instead, the grenade hit him on the chest. It hit the roof. And as it hit Mansoor in the chest and fell to the roof where he was standing, he yelled grenade, and he jumped on the grenade, covering, covering the grenade with his body. Seconds later, the grenade exploded and Mansoor's body absorbed most of the force of the blast. He was fatally wounded and died 30 minutes later. Two other SEALs next to him received shrapnel wounds, but they were fine other than that. Mansoor knew that he could have saved himself, but instead of saving himself... He saved his friends. He had already won... several other rewards. He had already won... a bronze star... a silver star... and a purple heart... prior... to this act of valor... where he posthumously won... the Medal of Honor. At his funeral... One of his comrades said, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you will take me, but you will not take my buddies. And at that funeral, which was held down in San Diego, so many seals showed up that as the funeral ended, they marched by Mansour's coffin And pressed their golden tridents, perhaps the most coveted insignia in the entire military, into the wooden cover of that coffin. It took nearly 30 minutes to do this. Each seal would take his trident, put it on the coffin, and slap it into the wood. For 30 minutes the slaps were audible from across the cemetery as nearly every seal on the west coast repeated the act. President Bush cried when he gave the Medal of Honor to Montsor's parents. Now Jesus did the same thing for us. He said this is my commandment that you love one another as I as loved you as I have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends That's what love is That's what Mansour did for his friends and that's what Jesus did for his friends and that would be you If you trust in him you will be saved. Paul says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus has risen from the dead and believe in your heart, you will be saved. Romans ten nine. That's what love is. And that's what all of our military and all of our police force do and are ready to do every day to sacrifice themselves for us. So honor them this weekend. Honor them all the time, friends. I'm Frank Turek. I'll see you in London next week. God bless. God bless America.
6: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.